Happy Resurrection Sunday. Praise God for his indescribable gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck, and I hope you are so excited about what Jesus has done for us on this Resurrection Sunday. Jesus, he died for our sins, and praise God, on the third day, God raised him back to life, and that's why we are celebrating Jesus But you know what? It's not just today that we should celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection, but it's every day of our lives because we should be so thankful, so grateful for what he has done for us. And John 3.16 really sums it up for us, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you have eternal life in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and your trust in him? If not, I'm praying today will be the day that you do just that because Jesus loves you so much. This past week, it's called Holy Week, and it's called Holy Week because it's set aside to remember what Jesus went through and did for us the final week of his life. That's from his triumphant entry into Jerusalem to him being betrayed and arrested, to him being flogged and beaten, to him dying on the cross and to him being raised back to new life. It's a week we should never, ever forget, and it's one that we should remember a whole lot more than one time a year. Jesus did it all. He paid it all for you and for me. And some ask, why? Why would Jesus do this? Why did he do and go through all of that pain and all that suffering? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, about why he did what he did and about his resurrection. We're going to talk about all that today on Sunday morning with the love and action. But before we do, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, oh, we love you. Praise your holy name, Father. Thank you, Father, for your steadfast love for us. God, your love is beyond amazing. It's beyond awesome. Father, to know that you sent your son to die in our place is just mind-blowing. Father, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for eternity, everlasting life that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, today as we dive into your word, as we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will lead, guide, and direct this time and just touch hearts this morning. Convict, open up the eyes of everyone's hearts to not only hear but to receive your message this morning, Father God. And I pray for those listening who have not given their lives to you. I pray today is their day that they do. Father, you're just so amazing. And God, just want everyone to know how much you love them and what all you've done for them. You've done everything that we just need to receive now. And so, Father, I pray that happens this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to teach us. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us as we go through the Scripture this morning. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' holy name we pray in. Amen. Why did Jesus suffer and die for us? Well, the simple answer is because we're all sinners who have disobeyed God and we need a Savior to provide forgiveness of sin and to bring us back into that personal relationship with God our Father. That's how God created us to be in that personal relationship with Him. We go back to Genesis and we see Adam and Eve with the Father, but then sin came in and sin separated us from the Father. But Jesus came to bring us back. 
And we know in John chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. And we know that we need a Savior. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see that the wages, that's something we earn, right? Wages of sin is death. So we earn that because of our disobedience to God. But God sent Jesus, his free gift, to us to give us eternal life. That's why I say, have you received his free gift? It's free. It's free for us. It costs Jesus everything. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So we see we have all sinned. I have sinned. You have sinned. Everybody has sinned. Jesus is the only one to walk this earth who did not sin. He lived that perfect life. He had to for you and for me. But if we put our faith in Jesus, then we read through the scripture that we will be justified by grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we receive this by faith. Jesus, he suffered. He died because he had to make atonement for you and me. So when people ask, why did he do that? Well, an atonement had to be made and we couldn't do it. Jesus made that atonement for us. And what is atonement? It's the work Jesus did in his life and death to earn salvation. And you and I can't do it. We can't do enough good works to atone for our sins. We could live to be 300 years old and do good works for 300 years, but it still would not be enough to atone for our sins. Only Jesus, who was and is perfect, could do that for you and for me and for all mankind. The ultimate cause that led Jesus to coming here to earth and dying for our sins is the love and justice of God. God is so loving, and he is a just God. He is a righteous God. And the love of God as a cause for atonement is seen in really the most familiar scripture in all of the Bible, and which I read at the beginning of this broadcast, John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the love of God. That's how much he loves us. But the justice of God also required that God find a way that the penalty due to us for our sins would be paid. Because we we have a penalty for our sins. It's you can equate that with laws of this land. You know, if we break the law, then there's going to be justice done, right? A penalty is going to be paid for whatever that break of the law was, whether it's yes, a speeding ticket or whether it's murder or whatever that the crime is. A penalty is, is made. So our disobedience to God brings about a penalty. And we read just earlier in Romans that the wages of sin is death. So Jesus came to take that for us. And God, he found a way that the penalty due for our sins will be paid by his son, Jesus Christ. Because see, God, he cannot accept us into his fellowship unless that penalty was paid. An unrighteous person cannot stand before a righteous God. So we have to be righteous as we come to him. And 
how do we get that? Well, through Jesus Christ. Jesus actually gives us his righteousness, and therefore we can come before God, and that relationship with God is reconciled. And we'll talk about that more here in a moment. With the Apostle Paul, he explains it this way. Paul explains that this was why God sent Christ to be a propitiation, that is, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath so God becomes propitious or favorably disposed toward us. In other words, propitiation, that word propitiation, is a word that means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end, and in doing so, changes God's wrath towards us into favor. Jesus bore the wrath of God against sin, against our sin, the wrath that we deserve. Jesus took that for us, and instead of receiving God's wrath, we receive his favor. Wow, praise Jesus. Can you see what he's done for us? And all we have to do is receive him, receive his gift of salvation. And in Jesus' death, he bore a penalty when he died. His death was also a substitution in that he was a substitute for us when he died. So see, physically, we're going to die one day. But spiritually, we're not going to if we have given our lives to Jesus Christ then spiritually we're going to go be with him. And then when the final judgment happens, our bodies are going to be reunited with our spirits and we're going to have a perfect body like Jesus has. But because of him, we won't die spiritually. We will live forever with him. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your spirit's still going to go on in eternity, but it's going to be in eternal destruction, eternal punishment eternity without God. So that's why I'm saying receive this free gift of Jesus and live with him forever. I love what he told the thief on the cross when he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I want paradise. I want to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And we can be. We need to put our faith in him. The atoning work of Christ is a complex event that has a number of effects on us. Christ's death met the four needs that we as sinners have and One is we deserve to die as penalty for sin. Two, we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. Three, we are separated from God by our sins. And four, we are in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. So see, Jesus, his atoning work, took care of all of that for us. These four needs that I just mentioned, they're met by Christ's death in the following ways. Number one, sacrifice. To pay the penalty of death that we deserve because of our sins, Christ died as a sacrifice for us. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 reads, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Number two, propitiation. There's that word again, propitiation, substitute. And that's to remove us from the wrath of God that we deserved So Christ died as a propitiation of our sins, as a substitute for us for our sins. 1 John 4, verse 10 reads, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And thirdly, reconciliation. To overcome our separation from God, we needed someone to provide that reconciliation, thereby bring us back into fellowship with God. Sin separates us. Jesus brings us back. The Apostle Paul says that God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. Jesus redeems us. 
We have redemption through Jesus because we as sinners are in bondage to sin and Satan until we give our lives to Jesus. We need someone to provide that redemption and thereby redeem us out of that bondage. When we speak of redemption, the idea of ransom comes into mind here. Ransom is the price paid to redeem someone from bondage or captivity. You've heard of people being held captive, and those holding them captive wants a ransom. They want money. Jesus said of himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we have been delivered from bondage to guilt of sin. We don't have that guilt of sin anymore if we have given our lives to Jesus Christ and trusted in him as our Savior and Lord. And he's delivered us from the bondage of his ruling power in our lives. Christ, in his death on the cross, completely satisfied the demands of God's righteous judgment of sin and fully bore the wrath of God against that sin. Hallelujah. How can we not praise him for what he has done for us? He's taken our punishment. He's taken our guilt. He's taken our shame. And he's delivered us from bondage to sin and to Satan. He set us free from all that. Praise God. And we know that Jesus, he died on that cross. He was crucified just like it was prophesied by David in Psalms chapter 22. And I encourage you to read Psalms 22 today. When you're reading, it's like you're reading from the New Testament, uh, the account of Jesus being crucified. It's, it's just an amazing prophecy to read. Uh, you can also read prophecies of his death in Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53. And God's word is just awesome. And Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. And to read that in his words is just, oh, it's just so awesome. Our God is awesome. But, you know, if we stop at the cross and at the tomb, we miss it. We miss it all. Because Jesus, he did die. But on the third day, God raised him back to life. Hallelujah. Praise God. God raised Jesus back to life. And the Gospels contain abundant testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can read for yourself. I'm going to give you uh, some reads here uh, out of the Bible. Uh, Read Matthew chapter 28. Read Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, Luke chapter 24, and John chapter 20 and chapter 21. The whole New Testament attests to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts, which comes right after the Gospels, is a story of the apostles' proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and of continued prayer to Christ and trust in him as the one who is alive and reigning in heaven. And the epistles, the letters, depend entirely on the assumption that Jesus is a living, reigning Savior who is now exalted as head of the church, who is to be trusted, worshipped, and adored, and who will someday return in power and great glory to reign as king here on earth. Then the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, repeatedly shows the risen Christ reigning in heaven and predicts his return to conquer his enemy and reign in glory. Therefore, the entire New Testament bears witness to the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Christ's resurrection, though, we we need to understand this too, was not simply a coming back from the dead. Others had experienced that before. Remember when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the grave, brought him back to life, but guess what? Lazarus did end up dying again, right? And everyone who Jesus raised from the dead, and we read about the apostles doing the same through the power of Christ that was in them, those people end up dying. But Jesus did not. Jesus rose from the grave, and he was not subject to weakness or aging 
because he didn't die anymore. That was it. He died that one time for you and for me, and he rose back to life with a new resurrected body. Perfect. Jesus was the first fruits, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, of a new kind of human life in which his body was made perfect. And again, no longer subject to weakness, aging, or death, but to live eternally. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reason why I'm so excited about it, not just today, but all the time, is because it's the most important, the most significant event in history, bar none. Nothing's more important than the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And let's look at some reasons why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so significant. His resurrection ensures our regeneration. Peter says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here he explicitly connects Jesus' resurrection with our regeneration or new birth. You hear that phrase, born again. That's that new birth. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a new quality of life, a resurrection life in a human body, and human spirit that were perfectly suited for fellowship and obedience to God forever. We read accounts of Jesus coming back to his disciples and to many others, and we see where he interacted with them. He ate with them. So he had a new resurrected body. And one day we will too if, if he's our Lord and Savior and we trust in him. And Jesus earned for us a new life just like his Now, of course, we don't receive all that new resurrection life when we become Christians because our bodies remain as they they are. We're still subject to weakness, aging, and death. But in our spirits, we are made alive with new resurrection power. Therefore, it's through his resurrection that Jesus earned for us the new kind of life we receive when we are born again, that new life, that new birth, that regeneration. We are new in spirit. And the new resurrection power we receive, it includes power to gain more victory over the remaining sins in our lives. We read in Romans 6, 14, that sin will have no dominion over you. We can overcome sin that's in our lives through the power of Jesus Christ that is working in us. That resurrection power, when we give our lives to him, it doesn't mean we become perfect, but the Holy Spirit continues to show us the sin in our life that we need to get rid of. And through his power, we're able to do so. And we become more and more and more like Jesus as we go through this life. So we don't need to have excuses of, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, yes, we are, but we can overcome that through the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that's in us. He don't want us held bondage to sin. We talked about that. Don't be held bondage to sin. Let Jesus set you completely free because he will. And this resurrection power also includes the power of ministry in the work of the kingdom of God. He empowers us to do ministry. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This new, I mean, it's intensified, right? Powerful proclaiming the gospel and working miracles and triumph and over the opposition of the enemy was given to his disciples after Christ's resurrection from the dead. And it was part of the new resurrection power that characterized their lives. And guess what? It should characterize our lives as well. It's not just for the disciples, the apostles. It's for all believers who come after them. That's you and that's me as well. So Jesus' resurrection also ensures our justification. Praise God. Our justification means that we receive a declaration that we are not guilty 
but righteous before God. Remember I said we have to be righteous to come before a righteous God. Well, Jesus makes that happen through his resurrection. He justifies us, and he gives us his righteousness. Therefore, we can come before a righteous God. When Christ was raised from the dead, it was God's declaration of approval for Christ's work of redemption. Because Christ, he humbled himself. Philippians 2, verses 8 and 9, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God has highly exalted him. See, after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, there was no penalty left to pay for sin. No more wrath of God to bear. No more guilt or liability to punishment. All had been completely paid for, and no guilt remained. Jesus did it all. In the resurrection, God was saying to Christ, I approve of what you have done. You have found favor in my sight. And in the Gospels, we see God confirming and affirming that Jesus is his son and that he's well pleased with him. And by raising him from the dead, God's saying, I approve, and you found favor in my sight. God was there by making a declaration that would also apply to us, to you and me, once we trust Jesus for salvation. And this way, his resurrection also gave us final proof that he had earned our justification. Jesus' resurrection ensures that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies as well. And several times in the New Testament, it connects Jesus' resurrection with our final bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 2 Corinthians 4, 14, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28, That's it's really the most extensive discussion of the connection between Jesus' resurrection and our own. There, Paul says that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And calling Jesus the first fruit, Paul uses a metaphor from agriculture to indicate that we will be like Jesus, just as the first fruits were the first taste of a ripening crop. It shows what the rest of the harvest will be like for that crop. So Jesus as the first fruit shows what our resurrection bodies will be like when in God's final harvest, he raises us from the dead and brings us into his presence. Oh, what an awesome day that is going to be for all believers. And Paul sees another significance in the resurrection. He sees that the resurrection has application to our obedience to God in this life. After a long discussion on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul concludes by encouraging his readers in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's because Jesus was raised from the dead, and we too shall be raised from the dead, that we should continue steadfastly in the Lord's work, steadfastly all the time. Day in, day out, we need to be doing the work of the Lord, telling others about him, making disciples, helping people in the name of the Lord. And this is because everything that we do to bring people into the kingdom and build them up will indeed have eternal significance because we shall be raised on the day when Jesus returns and we shall live with him forever. And because of the resurrection, Paul says in Romans 6 verse 11, that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus by virtue of the resurrection of Christ and his resurrection power within us. In other words, we have an obligation to stop yielding to sin in our lives. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 6, verses 12 through 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, 
to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. The fact that we have new resurrection power over the dominion of sin in our lives is used by Paul as a reason to exhort us not to sin anymore. Jesus made all of this that I talked about today and so much more possible through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Have you experienced his resurrection power in your life? Have you placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I love reading about his resurrection. In Mark chapter 16, verse 8, we read, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Jesus arose from that tomb. There's so much proof, so much fact, even outside the Bible. But you know what? We need to come to him in faith. In faith alone, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And through faith, by God's grace, we're saved. So have you come to Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you received his free gift of salvation? If not, I want to encourage you to do so this morning. You can pray to him. You can call out to him the best you know how. There's no prayer written in stone or even written in the Bible that says you got to pray this way to get saved. And I just call out to Jesus. And I encourage you to do so this morning. If you're driving, pull over. It's that important to give your life to Jesus. We don't know when we'll breathe our last. And if we breathe our last without Jesus, then hell is the destination, eternal torment, eternal separation from God the Father. But we can have eternal life, and when we breathe our last, know that we're going to be with Jesus. It's like my mother and father. My father went home to heaven 26 years ago this week, and my mom, just a little over two months ago, when she breathed her last, she went to heaven. And how do I know this? Because they both trusted Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They lived for him. And so I know they're in heaven with them today. And I know one day I'll see them again because I believe I trust in Jesus and I live for him. But I can't wait to see Jesus most of all face to face and to bow at the feet of my Savior and thank him for all he's done for me. You can have that same confidence. It's confidence in him. It's not confidence in me. My confidence is in him. You can have that same confidence. And just ask God to forgive you of your sins, repent of your sins, which means a turning. You turn away from the disobedience you have in your life and turn to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and he will. And confess that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and the word of God says you will be saved. Just like John 3.16 says, all who believe, so believe. Trust him. And I encourage you to just talk to him the best you know how and give your life to him and ask him to help you each and every day to live, to live for him. 
doesn't mean you're perfect right away, right? We talked about that. But it means that you've been forgiven. And from this day forward, you can live for Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to overcome sins that are in your life. And he will. Because you'll have the power, the resurrection power in you. And if you need someone to talk to, you want to know some next steps, I encourage you to, well, you can call us here at Love and Action at 334-494-4995, 334-494-4995. You can email me at ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com, ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. Or tell somebody who is a believer and ask them to, to pray with you. I encourage you to get involved at a church, a body of believers, where they're teaching discipleship, which means they're teaching how to live for Jesus. And we have a school of discipleship here at Love and Action. You can find out more about that on loveinactionministries.com on the web. Being baptized and living for Jesus, those are the next steps, and we'd love to talk with you about that. For those who are believers, keep thanking and praising Jesus for everything he's done and tell others about him. Everyone needs to know. Everyone needs that opportunity to give their lives to Jesus. So I encourage you to do that and to make disciples. Who can make disciples? Praise God. Jesus lives, and he loves you so much. Hope you remember that as you go through the rest of this week that's coming up. And I hope you have a great week coming up. Hope you have a great rest of today. And I pray the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.